0: You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with us, Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics, that's me. The FTC announced a major study of hospital buyups and physician practices. Bully on them, but come on, guys, I don't need to spend a dime on this. No study needed, guys. Here's your report. Burnout increases markedly with buy ups. Medical errors, the same. Costs go up double, triple, quadruple, infinity. Hospital acquired infections. The dumb overtest. There's a dumb overtest ordered every 13 seconds in America. Unnecessary surgery. Monopoly pricing power. It all increases and bumps when these physicians get acquired the very next day. It has always been and will always be this way. Bigs, by their very nature, are decoupled from the customer. Their billboards and marketing campaigns are proof positive with bragging and flouting new shiny buildings and happy white coats. And isn't it funny, they're always slinging that ubiquitous stethoscope just so, and it's mostly men. They really should be celebrating the miracles that happen daily, which are the recoveries, the heroic nurses and MAs that risk everything with no pee breaks days in a row. The real stories. I noticed most of my life I've been hanging out with women at parties. Remember when we used to have those? But not the men. And Terry asked me why the other day, and I said it's because their talk is real. They talk about kids and bosses, marriage issues, and parents real. Like men talk about sports and business. So bigs are men at the party, and their patient stories and the front line are women equivalent, and literally women. Here's what the FTC can learn, is that 70 to 80% of PCPs work for the bigs. That is a freight train, and it has accelerated in the last few years equal to all the years before it, decades of acquiring doctor practices. Now, with Marshall Plan billions, they don't even need that money. HCA and HCA, in fact, even returned their $2.1 billion to their credit, but these billions bolstered profits and all of the last four quarters, and they all had reserves about double what they got from the feds. I tip my hat and bow deeply to the two big hospital lobbies for getting more than the actual Marshall Plan that gave us world peace, but this one had no strings attached and gave us accelerated misery, as mentioned above, burnout, costs, errors, all that above. But more than that sad, sad list, Big's buying spree fundamentally changed primary care and, by extension, health care, because PCPs are the backbone of the largest slice of our economy. And guys, this is the only show in the that is talking about this stuff and featuring these kind of guests you're about to meet today. Hopkins and Marty McCary taught us that 48% of every federal dollar is a healthcare spin. Bill Gates said healthcare is destroying school budgets, and he said that eight years ago. And it's only worse with COVID. They're barely breathing. His pal Warren Buffett said healthcare is a tapeworm on our economy, famously. But let's keep this simple. Big Anything has the potential for great evil. Not my hospital, Ron. They're doing great in my community. Shut the hell up. Yeah, yours too. 70% get a free tax ride locally, county, state, and feds. It's a dream game board with rigged ice, and the bigs are all headed for big trouble this decade because it's all on the cusp of unraveling because of models like my guest has run two of. We have hit inflection points where this divorced reality, separating the customer from the big is unsustainable. It's irreversible. I live in a future where everyone wins. If you read anything I write, I say that every time. So today you're gonna join me and my guests today who are the anti-big antidote. Rather than introduce you, uh, Urav Dial, is it safe to say that at Chinmed and now Everside that you do not see any burnout there?
1: Um, you know, COVID obviously has changed a little bit of, uh, of the dynamic, but I think compared to, first of all, uh, kudos on your opening commentary, Ron, and uh, totally relate to everything you said, and I think uh, you said it very eloquently. Um, I think, look, we have a big problem in primary care in this country, right? I mean, um, and places like Chen Med, places like Everside, these are safe havens for PCPs who went into, you know, uh, the, the less sexy part of healthcare delivery to do the right thing, and to take care of patients holistically. Hospital systems are not designed for that. Hospital systems are designed for PCPs to uh, refer patients to specialists and to procedures. It's a simple, simple calculus, um, which comes across, and from my hospital, as I can relate to this, comes across as loss per PCP, right? They're all quote, unquote, uh, loss leaders. And I don't think any of us went to medical school to become a loss leader, right? Uh, Which is paradoxical. Uh, given that the same doc the day before they're hired were running a profitable business, so I could never understand how is this you know physician profitable on Monday, but now a loss leader on Tuesday. Aren't they doing the same thing? Um, And aren't you actually inflating their rates and getting paid more for everything they do because of these like ridiculous loopholes in the reimbursement model? So look, healthcare is a tough profession. Um, Being a primary care doc is tough. So I would not want to paint, you know, uh, a panacea at what we're doing at Everside, but it sure beats the alternative as to being a large healthcare system.
0: Absolutely. Okay, more questions. We're going to get into the models in a minute here because they're super important to understand for this listener. But cost rising? Do you see cost rising at the value-based care models of like GenMed or at uh, Paladina, Everside?
1: Again, uh, COVID puts a whole new spin on things because utilization, frankly, across all sectors of healthcare have declined for obvious reasons. But that taking that out, um, the value that these uh, primary care models bring is actually significant curtail- curtailment in cost. You know, um, I just started at Everside recently and we are very confident in telling employers that we will more than recoup any dollars they pay us, and that's why they sign up with us. Um, And on top of that, we're guaranteeing better healthcare outcomes. So look, you know this, Ron. I mean, uh, the solution to uh, the problems in the US healthcare system are very simple. It's just that the incentive model uh, prevents us from seeing the solution, right? Um, It's hands-on, regular primary care, prevention and chronic disease management in cost-effective settings with cost-effective treatments. It is not rocket science. It just has been made convoluted because the reimbursement model supports convoluted things, right? I mean, uh, you can correct me in my statistic, but I think primary care accounts for approximately 5% of US healthcare spend, which is frankly ridiculous when you think about it um, because more bolstering of a primary care system will so significantly reduce your total cost of care that you could probably triple your primary care spend and still come out way ahead on your total cost of care. But again, uh, the lobbying groups, as you referenced in your opening, work for hospitals, for work for device makers, work for pharma, they don't work for primary care, right? And the ones who do are frankly not terribly effective at it.
0: Well, and the two largest primary care groups, we would say United Health Optum has the largest group with over 46,000 PCPs, yep. and then you can go to Kaiser Permanente in California for the second largest, about half yep. that. And both of their CEOs said within a week of each other about a year ago that an investment in primary care significantly reduced the downstream costs, and that's that's just logical. I mean, that's And, that's, and what that's do
1: kind they, kind they like have the in same. common, Ron? What do they have in common?
0: I don't know. Good question. What They're do they have in common? They're
1: both plans. That have added on oh. primary care groups who have incentive, who are incentivized to keep people healthy out of the hospital, and um, and to lower their total cost of care because that hits their bottom line directly, right? And I think, frankly, look, that is the model we should be looking at, right? Kaiser is an amazing model, like they did, where where they have a lot end to end sight on the patient, both from a clinical perspective as well as a financial perspective. So incentives are aligned, right? I mean, one of my friends is a spine surgeon at Kaiser. Um, and he said, you know, he loves his job because uh, unlike—so uh, so no disrespect to the thousands of spine surgeons in America, but it is a very overutilized specialty. I think, in fact, it's the most overutilized specialty out there, right? You're going for you. You pulled your back using a weed whacker over the weekend and all of a sudden you're getting a, you know, a discectomy on Tuesday morning, right? But at Kaiser, what my friend said is what's great is it's by the time he sees a patient, they're getting surgery. They've been through everything. They've been through primary care management. They've been through PT. They've been through conservative therapy. So if I'm showing up to that guy, a Kaiser, it's because I need a discectomy or whatever, right? Um, I think that's how medicine should be practiced. People should be doing services that are needed at the right time, at the right place, by the right people, but not because they need to make another boat payment.
0: Well, there's literally nobody in America that has your experience at the tip of the spear. With value-based care with ChenMed, everybody's heard of ChenMed um, that follows the show, and how amazing it is. And that is full risk. I, I believe only five percent of all full, uh, of all value-based care uh, clinics have full risk because they don't want to take that scary risk on. But uh, ChenMed does it, and not only does it well, but really is sort of the national model how to do it right. Am I right?
1: Yeah, uh, it is a full risk model. Um, all all medical costs, all pharmacy costs. Um, And it's basically, you know, if you don't manage, you can lose a lot of money. And if you can manage patients well, you can get good outcomes, both financially and clinically. So.
0: And you doubled their business in the couple of years you were there. Um, Then you've been invited to be CEO, uh, president of uh, Everside, which merged with uh, Paladin. And I think you're the second largest DPC practice in the country now.
1: We are. Um, so, Everside is a new name for Paladino. We're launching the new brand in, um, I think, in March, actually, in a few weeks. Um, it's a combination of three companies actually it's a legacy Paladina, then Activate, which has a lot of uh, Taft Hartley union Union members, and then HealthStat, um, which is our most recent acquisition, which had a lot of uh, presence in the occupational uh, on site space as well for employers. So, it is the second largest DPC company in the country. We have approximately 400 locations in 32 states. Uh, we see employees, we see their families, and um, all for a fixed direct primary care fee uh, uh, with uh, no, um, no incentives to do more, but every incentive to uh, do everything needed to keep people healthy and, um, and also uh, improve access dramatically, right? I mean, we see patients, and I think that's a big, big part of, both of these uh, delivery models access i mean try getting into a primary care doctor in this country it's not because they don't want to see you it's just such a cumbersome process it's, a, it's delayed half the time by the time you see one your, your your illness is self-resolved
0: right um so let me go into these 10 lives i talked about a few weeks ago um i said that you have to work for a big company insurance company or kaiser Permanente to be a pcp today do you agree or disagree
1: well i mean you have to meaning like you have fewer options or that's what you would like to
0: do I guess I want No that's agree. what people have to do because they don't
1: Oh I would I agree it's a it's a it's a monopoly market now I mean you have to go work for a big it's very difficult to be on your own and there's not that many models such as Everside and Chen
0: Med on a relative basis as you mentioned Okay do you believe yeah. there's not enough PCPs or that we have enough PCPs
1: I believe we have enough PCPs but I think that we are we
0: overutilize uh, their time um, Okay. In
1: the wrong fashion. Okay.
0: Our health always declines or at least maintains as individuals in a nation, true or false?
1: Uh, it, should be, uh, it should be false, meaning health should get better.
0: Yeah. But it's not always the case. But Chin Med it's the case and at Everside, is the case.
1: Correct. But that's not the norm. Yes.
0: Okay. costs of care only rise. False. False. Um, COVID almost single-handedly killed our hospitals.
1: Great story. Not true.
0: Yeah, totally narrative, not reality. Um, there are no supermen or wonder women to say, well, see, that's just BS because I'm talking to Superman. I'm talking, I mean, wonder woman is every woman that works for you guys. Um, docs are powerless to radically reverse people's bad habits. True or false? False. Yeah, I want to talk more about that. Money solves most health care's ginormous headaches. True or false? It solves many of them. Okay, uh, there are no easy fixes in healthcare. False. False. Okay, and then most insurance brokers really care about their uh, employer that they
1: serve. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah, see. That's
0: the best one. I'm that's gonna... what I react.
1: Actually... I'm gonna take the fifth on that one. Yeah,
0: that's a good thing to do. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Everside and Paladino. What what happened with Paladino that kind of blew everybody's mind was they took on. state of Colorado and then they said we're going to take full risk on this. We're going to charge you a certain amount and nobody had done that in direct primary care before. Um, Is that a model that you're going to continue to evolve with or is that a one-off thing?
1: No, that's actually uh, a great success story for us and has been replicated. We're also in the state of New Jersey also now Um, uh, and uh, just recently we expanded our relationship with State of Colorado, so I mean, it just goes to show. I mean, as to one of your questions, money isn't the solution to all the healthcare problems, right? I mean, it's common sense approach to engaging with, the, you know, the employees, their families, seeing them regularly, being available to them, having them having a designated PCP who knows them, connects with them, and I think the results speak for themselves.
0: You've only been there a couple of weeks, but do you have a sense of how much percentage in savings employers are finding with Paladina?
1: It it varies on the level of engagement, and not every contract is the same. But I think you can. We are very comfortable that it's definitely north of ten percent for uh, every
0: employer we sign up. Okay, and how do you feel about these uh, one medicals going public? Do you think that's a future for Paladina?
1: I mean, look right now, who knows? Like, I've given up predicting the stock market, especially after March of this year. So who knows where things stand in the market? But I think right now, what is happening is. Uh, there's a lot of growth in the sector, and to fund that growth, capital is needed. So I think there's three options typically: either you raise investment through, you know, a VCPE, um, you go public, or these days it seems like everyone is doing what's called a SPAC, which I don't even know what it means, but um, I read about it every day. So um, I think those are sort of what seems like a lot of folks and uh, uh, folks are
0: jumping into uh, one of those three. Um, who are your chief competitors that you see in the marketplace?
1: Um, you know, frankly, the, the space is not terribly penetrated. I mean, it's like uh, people go, people access primary care different ways, right? If uh, you know they go to their traditional primary care group, um, most of them don't go to primary care, which is a shame. Most people are going to nowhere, or they're going to emergency room or urgent care. So, in most markets that we're entering, where where it's not as much about switching PCPs, it's about P- people having a PCP, and we really feel like it's a fairly underpenetrated market. I mean, look, we're we're, we're, we're not a tremendously large company, but we're second in the country in size, right? So it goes to show that it's just not a very uh, penetrated space. And I think part of my... Is,
0: is Crossover the largest, I, Gordon? No, I think
1: uh, you know, I, Crossover is much smaller than us. Um, I think if I have my numbers correct, a company called Premise may be larger. Um, but Crossover, as far as I know, is much smaller. I don't know.
0: Yeah, C- crossover might be over a million, but they just got Amazon, so they might be growing pretty fast. Yeah. How, what? How many patients are y'all serving now?
1: Um, it de- again, it depends on which model we're looking at, but from an engagement perspective, it's over a million.
0: Okay. So if your children were getting into primary care, would you, or getting into he- healthcare, would you recommend that they become doctors now in your model?
1: You know, I think if you're going to be a prime, and look, I have my own bias here but as a primary care physician, but um, if you want to practice, when I was in med school, the reason I went to primary care was to have a relationship with patients, um, be there in a longitudinal fashion, be there when they're most vulnerable and when they need medical care and also to shepherd them through a very complex milieu. That is only going to happen, I think, in companies such as this that are independent, that have no uh, vested interest in overutilization of services, uh, that get to call that, that are physician-led um, and that are built on a patient-first uh, principle, not a reimbursement-first principle, right? I'm not being... I'm not being, uh, you know, Pollyannish about it. These are all businesses, so revenue is important. Um, But what's driving it, right? And are you, like, second banana to, like, a hospital system or third banana maybe? Or are you front and center of the care delivery model of your company? So the short answer is yes. Um, I think uh, we see much better job satisfaction. We see a lot more feeling of control. And we see a lot more of the fact that, um, you know, people get to do the right thing um, at the right time for the patient.
0: So we call this a future where everyone wins, where the doctor wins, as you just described, the patient wins because they have, uh, they don't have to deal with the coal mine experience. I agree
1: fully. Yes.
0: Yeah, and there are people who most doctors, if you ask them, can we hit triple aim? They'll go, well, not even close. Correct. Um, but you'll, you can look them in the eye and say, no, no, we're actually happy. Employer, happy uh, outcomes, population healths increasing, patients, docs, everybody's happy.
1: Triple is not being met because the reimbursement model and traditional fee for service actually disincentivizes you to hit the triple aim, right? I mean, everything's following the money, right? It's, uh,
0: it's a sad yeah. joke. So, Gaurav, what is the question I should have asked you that I didn't ask you?
1: Oh, geez, that's a that's a good one. Um What are my views on the future of virtual care in this country? Let's 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 go with it. I think, you know, COVID's really accelerated virtual care probably by I don't know, at least a decade, I wanna say maybe more so just given that it's healthcare and regulatory itself would take a decade to resolve. Um, I think at peak COVID what we were seeing 70, 80% virtual visits. Now that number probably flipped and it's probably 20%, but it's still probably 10X or maybe 100X more than it was. And just like we're all using you know, Zoom or Teams or whatever to interact um, and work, I think that virtual care is here to stay, right? Um, My belief is that virtual care is legitimate. Um, I don't know if uh, there's a lot of work that has to be done around quality standards, but I could argue the same thing in live care. We have very ambiguous quality standards. Um, I do think that ultimately the patient gets to call the shots. Um, I'll use my dad, who's almost eighty, as an example. He didn't know that virtual visits were even possible till COVID, and after he did one with his primary care doc, he's like, "Why do I ever go in?" Right? And I think that's the mindset we have to have, and we have to be viewing this as. A way to improve access and lower cost and not use the same old same old mindset that oh a virtual visit um, should cost the same as a physical visit right Um, because the cost savings should um, and access benefits should accrue to the patient Um, uh, and there's plenty if you look at technology uh, digitization of services typically and I think maybe unanimously Uh, lead to lower costs and I think that uh, in healthcare we try to act like we're always different and hopefully uh, we won't be different on this one where this will significantly accelerate um, access and adoption and lower cost of um, all kinds of services not just primary care Um, but very important ones like behavioral health which I think just completely gets transformed by virtuality so I don't think much is going to change in the next year or so, but I think the next five years, we're going to see a significant, significant change in uh, delivery. And, you know, um, well, you and I are both old enough to remember this, but like in the late 90s, when cell phones were kind of becoming mainstream, people would ask, you know, what's your cell number and what's your home number? And people don't ask that anymore, right? What's your phone number? And they assume it's your cell number, right? And I think that similarly, um, within the next decade, we're going to, Uh, use uh, virtual care and physical care fungibly, um, um, assuming, just going back to your opening statement, that uh, regulatory reimbursement and lobbyists don't screw it up for all of us so that um, it just becomes prohibitive to do virtual care because of all of these reasons.
0: Yeah. Well, my neck is hurting from violently agreeing with everything you're saying. (laughs) Um, I I think the hospitals may be in big trouble, though, because they're building these big shiny edifices and more care is going virtual people 85% of all visits are obviated by by the telephone now. So um, and plus, we're having smart tech that's entering the home with wearables, that's going to allow us to monitor and reverse uh, diabetes as we have with a couple of our guests. So I don't see hospitals winning in this. And I also see I want to hear your take on that. And then I also see the insurance companies in a death spiral because even as diversified as they are, they're going to lose their core business as they uh, price themselves out.
1: Um, I would, I guess I've been around long enough uh, that I wouldn't bet against either um, for different reasons, right? I agree in concept with what you're saying, especially on the hospital side, right? I still see significant construction of hospitals everywhere I go, despite the fact that everybody says we're overbedded and uh, way overutilized. I mean, it's uh, unfortunately for many systems. It's the one-trick pony, right? It's fee-for-service, the only revenue model, the only meaningful revenue model. Um, and I think COVID, frankly, pushes value-based care backwards for hospitals because now, for the next two or three years, they're going to try to recoup the losses that they incurred, you know, this uh, past year. Um, uh, I think that the 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 issue with hospitals is what you said in your opening, right? I mean there's always a bailout coming there's always government protection there's always this there's always we're the largest employer in town and my analogy to that is well um does that does being does being a large employer do we want like that's not justification for inefficiency right because otherwise we should just hire more people at the post office and at the car dealers and you know uh and 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 take out uber and you know have cabs only i think in general, the economy does better when we have efficiencies, not inefficiencies. And um, I think that's a lesson that because hospitals are at the intersection of uh, government and a private sector, frankly, or maybe it's not government, but at least it's public sector, um, they get to kind of uh, straddle the fence a little bit. On the insurance side, it's a tough question. I don't know. I mean, they're humongous companies. They're very diversified. They have a lot of cash. and I think ultimately, somebody, not everybody can be a risk-bearing entity, right? That takes a lot of effort. Even, even risk-bearing entities need somebody to provide them with the risk. So unless we're going down the path of a national healthcare care system, there will be somebody in the middle, uh, for lack of better word, even just to be a sales channel.
0: So you're my uh, 105th interview. I've said uh-huh or yes about as many times in this interview as I've said in all the other 105 combined. <laughs> So I'm just, I'm so delighted to invite you back and hear more about as you grow and expand. And I'm so proud that Direct Primary Care has such a fine representative and, and my God, you had such great training working for Gordon Chin and the Chin family. They're such, um, such good people and they, they have such a good model. Um, but I do wanna ask you a question. I kind of have a stumper that I ask every guest and you may know it, but it's, uh, if you could fly a banner over America with one message, what would that say? COVID-free zone. Okay. That sounds good. Thank you. Well, thanks again for being on our show, Gaurav. We'll um, look forward to doing this again soon, and uh, we'll check in later. All right. Okay. Thanks a lot, Ron. Thank you, man. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.